Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh. Yeah, I just came from a three-year-old birthday party. They were handing out free tattoos, so I am all tatted up right now, ready to pod. Fully sleeved? It's it's mostly like wrists and hands right now. The back we're just, we're just going to call you Birdman. We're going to call you Birdman for this yeah. episode. Yeah, call me Chris, Chris Anderson. Anderson. That's right. I got a sleeping pig right next to a sleeping mouse on my right wrist. And that other voice is Mike Minkoff. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I just, I feel, you know, I'm, I know my reputation on this podcast is like really hard. And now, you know, compared to you, Josh, I just feel, I, I just feel like I'm not upholding the image that I'm sure I have for the listener. So I'll do, I'll do my best to bring the hard takes. You do have that hard sounding voice, Mike. Yeah, I know. I'm, 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 I'm real roughneck. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a, uh, preseason training camp some dates some recent signings for the preseason uh, and then we're going to talk about some recent events with regarding the Celtics and how we would handle it before getting to some over unders for this upcoming season first Josh let me kick it to you the Celtics signed a couple of guys on camp deals who was it what are your thoughts yeah, so we signed Jawan Morgan. We haven't talked about this in the, on the pod in the last couple of weeks, but we signed Jawan Morgan and we signed Luke Cornett again. Jawan Morgan was signed to a camp deal, and he's kind of like a small ball four man, kind of hustle guy. I'm not sure if that's going to be just a deal to see what he's like in camp or a deal to see if he's the next, the second of the two way contracts uh, that we need to fill. Like that's that's the spot we're we're still trying to fill right now is that second two way contract. Um, and is obviously he coming Luke, out of college, Josh? Yeah, he. well, I can't remember if he was in the G League last year or if he's straight out of college. I think he's from West Virginia. Um, uh, Luke Cornett was the other one. We signed him to an Exhibit 10 contract, which is kind of an upgrade from the Jawan Morgan camp signing. Uh, Exhibit 10 contract is like a camp deal with a non-guaranteed team option for a two-way contract. So if he stays with the team... Uh, the money stays on the books, whereas Jawan Morgan can just be extinguished automatically. Um, so it seems like Luke Cornett has the upper hand in that second two-way contract. And I'm curious what you guys think. I liked Cornett last year. I know a lot of Celtics fans did, and it seemed like we all assumed he would just not be on the team again this year. But it looks like uh, he's obviously choosing the Celtics a little bit by by taking this deal um, and enjoying the situation that he had last year. Do you think? Do you guys think he should make the team? If so, I mean, what would his role be as, what, the fifth or sixth big? I think he's an insurance policy for the Celtics in case they make a trade and trade away some of their bigs. Uh, I would be surprised if Cornette signed a two-way contract. Uh, I, I, I'm seeing this Exhibit 10 deal as some guaranteed money to get him into camp as that insurance policy. But he's been in the league long enough and I think has produced enough, even just from last year with the Celtics, that I would hope that he would be able to get a real contract in, in the league. And he's just trying to catch on for preseason. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't have uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot to say about it. That Ollie has more to say, my dog, he's got, he's got some thoughts, but no, I mean, we get what we get 20, 20 roster spots at this time of year. Right. Yeah. If I feel like Cornette's there, cause he kind of knows, at least he knew Brad's system. I guess, I guess we don't know how much Ime is going to retain and how much he's going to change, but uh, you know, now you get four, four squads of five. 
during the preseason by bringing him in. I, I feel like that's mostly all it all it is on an exhibit ten. We already have a, a fully a filled out roster of guaranteed players, given that we're keeping uh, Jabari Parker. So I, I don't I don't see this having any significance for the the full roster in the regular season. Yeah, it would just impact the two way contract spots. Obviously, Sam Hauser has that first spot locked in. I think Luke Cornette is going to be the second spot on this team. And I, that's all actually surprising to me because I think that he's more valuable than that. I, I would think another team would steal him away from us, which is also, I think, a possibility uh, during training. Yeah, I think, our, uh, Josh, if you wanted to make a bet on that, I would do that. I think we're, our second two-way is going to get filled by somebody who gets cut from another team. Oh, interesting. I, I think yeah. it'll be Juwan. Uh... Juwan Morgan? Morgan, yeah. So he's he's not a bad option. I mean, he's he's another kind of Grant Williams type, Jay Sean Tate type, like hard. He, he was on the Jazz last year, man. by the way. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. He and and the Jazz, I think, was a good system for him to show that he could move the ball, that he could play team basketball. Everyone on that team knows how to pass. It was contagious with that program last year. So adding somebody like that, I think, would be. You know, not a bad thing for the Celtics, knowing that he. Can oh yeah, I'm. Rem- I'm recalling. I, I did some research on Juwan Morgan. He looks slow and not very athletic to me. Right. And and yeah. seems to play a big, bigger spot, four five. Yeah, he's a big. He's a. You I'm know, not a fan. Small ball five man, undersized, underskilled. Um, you know, just like I'm saying, like a guy who is going to prove his worth by out hustling other people. Um, and outsmarting them, either like a, a Grant Williams or like a Jay Sean Tate. Well, we got camp dates coming up. Obviously, media day is a week from uh, Monday, so the day before this podcast comes out. Man. Um, training camps come out the following Tuesday on the 28th of September, and then preseason games for the league start on the 3rd of October. But for Boston, we open up with Orlando on 10-4, October 4th. Um, and we've got Orlando and then four days off. Nice chunk of time to practice, to look at some game film and then work on things. Um, and then we got Orlando and then another three days off. Sorry, then we got Tor- Toronto and then another three days off before we see Orlando again. Uh, and then Miami closing it out. Four preseason games in the span of two weeks. Um, and then the, the regular season opens up on the 20th of October against the New York Knicks. This all happens so fast. I'm just hoping they get as much practice time as possible. I hope players are healthy in preseason so they get as many reps as possible. Uh, obviously, the games don't matter, um, and, and, and I will certainly overreact to them when they happen. Uh, but but I, I, just, I just hope the Preach. team gets a chance to gel. It's been two long years of, of, of COVID basketball, and this is the first real time in the last two seasons, it feels like, that they've had time to actually practice and get to know each other on the court yes <laughs> uh preseason it'll be nice to have a, a real preseason and uh very curious to see what kind of email is going to bring what what the team's going to look like if we're going to notice anything different with the offense uh or the defense um just as far as kind of the system they play the style they play you know email has been talking a big big talk about getting this team to play with more ball movement that which all sounds great, but it's not like Brad Stevens is anti-ball movement. So uh, curious to see if we if we see any early signals that the players are kind of buying in and actually whipping the ball around 
if, if some of the new guys or returnees like Horford help help unstick the ball, um, or if we we kind of see some of what we've been seeing the last couple of years. Uh, but as as you said, Adam, preseason is not going to count for much. Doesn't mean we're not going to overreact. It's going to be glorious. Uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> Okay, it's kind of the dead of the of this very short off season, but there's a little bit happening in the league. Mike, you have uh, some scenarios you want to pitch to us. Yeah, so like you said, it's it's the dead of the off season, um, but you know, in the last in the last uh, week or two, there have been there have been a couple of things going on uh, with the Celtics or some of the Celtics players or, or some things that have been said, some actions taken. And it got me thinking just like, how would I react if I were in that situation? Or uh, and, I, and I thought maybe we could just kind of discuss this because I'm curious how you guys would react. And I kind of know how I would react. The first one, uh, a lot of Celtics fans have probably seen this, whether you saw it directly on Instagram or you saw it going around on Twitter or or elsewhere. Uh, but Dennis Schroeder, um, infamously at this point, uh, turned down a major, you know, four year, $84 million contract extension with the Lakers, uh, ended up signing this one year, $5.9 million deal with the Celtics, uh, on his birthday on Instagram, uh, a, a little over a week ago, he tossed up. He's like, all right, I'm just going to do this one time. Took, showed a picture of himself kind of crouching down, hands on his head, looking distraught with like, you know, his bags of luggage around him. And he's like, hit me up with your best fumbled the bag meme or, you know, comments, whatever. Um, I thought that was really funny of him, a clever way to kind of try to own clearly a bad situation. But it did lead me to the question of what, how would you handle it, Adam, Josh? How would you handle it if you had to come to grips with the fact that you turned down, you passed up potentially $78 million. You just like, he probably, he won't lose a a total of $78 million, right. in in the grand scheme over the next three years, let's say he restores some value. He gets 30 million, 40 million over the next three years, maybe even up to 50, you know, he still is losing 20 to $30 million. Best case scenario. That's a full bag. That's a full bag. That's a that's a that's a big bag of that's a big bag of cash. That's, so so how that's would you why we it? call this section how would you handle it? How would you handle it? So how would you handle it, Josh? Go go you go first. Oh my god. Um I mean you're still getting a six million dollar deal, or five, let's say after taxes, we'll call it a four and a half million dollar deal. So you're still a millionaire, right? So you still have some money to spend. So I actually, you know what I do? I'd throw a party. I would I would spend some money. That's what I would do. Um, because you know that you're recouping some of it. You know it's not the end of the world. That's a good way to to uh, remember that you actually still have the money to spend, even though you're fumbling that big of a bag. Uh, yeah, I would I would make it into a joke. I would throw a party and I would spend more money. That's what I would do. Wow. <laughs> and now and now the, the the now the gentleman who shares the zygote. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, Adam how would you, you how would you, would you answer? <laughs> Adam's about to be the penny pincher, right? You, yeah. Well, it, it's all compared to the the loss of the the. Uh, I mean, I don't know what we're calling it 20, 30, 40 million. I mean, it's not more than the that. Full bag. I don't think. Uh, I I, I think let's say it's I say I think around forty million is probably the right amount. I, I think yeah, I, I mean, could see him getting like three years, thirty eight million, three years, forty million, something like that. 
So he'll probably yeah, lose so, 30, 30 to 40 million overall. Yeah. How he has made, he has made $69 million in his career, not including this next season. Uh, so it's not like he doesn't have a couple bags stored away, even with taxes and, and whatever else. Uh, he's got tens of millions of dollars. So he's at a certain level. And I don't actually think another 20 or 30 million, maybe cut it in half after taxes. That's not taking him to a whole nother level in terms of investments or what he's able to do with it. Uh, his kids and their, his grandkids are already set, assuming that he's handling the money wisely. If he's not handling the money wisely, that extra money doesn't matter. So I think that he can forgive himself, and that's what I would do. So you just forgive yourself? That's, that's all? Yeah, man. Sometimes that's what you need in life. Just forgiveness. Yeah, I, it's a tough beat. It's a tough beat. I just think of, you know, I, I like have small potatoes investments, but when I get in on something at the wrong dollar amount, like that hurts me. <laughs> like I'm like, dang it. Like I should have held, you know, I should I shouldn't have sold then, or I should have held longer, whatever the case may be. Uh, that would sting a lot. I agree, Adam. You gotta ultimately kind of take the cornerbacks mindset to to bring in a football analogy here, right? You have to have a very short memory, just like you know, uh, on to the next play. So you but would go back to the mansion. And, Mike, and would your, you your cars and your pool and cry tears into all of it? Huh? Well, maybe it's time I, to change it up a little bit. Maybe maybe that no. blonde streak in the hair is time to go. Like it's been getting bigger and bigger every year. Like it started out just a little thing at the t- the front, the frontal lobe, and now it's it's you know half of the hair is now this blonde Pepe Le Pew. Maybe it's just time to change that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get it uh, like pink. Let's go with some pink Schroeder. Um, yeah, no, I, I eventually would forget self forgiveness. I think is the right way to go. I actually kind of like your your call, Josh. I like the. I mean, it depends how extrav- extravagant you're talking with that party, but Just a little, a little, Just a little bash. Yeah, maybe, maybe you have Neutral. like a pin. Maybe you have a pinata that's a money bag. Right, and you just smack it, like yeah, it may just just really lean into it. Um, all right, that was so that, that was our of the post, right? I mean, he he's asking exactly for precisely to make fun of him so precisely. That he can he can handle it. He can take a little yeah. bit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that was that was our that was our warm up. Here's our second one. Second, so how would you handle it? So recently, Chris Forsberg asked Jason Tatum about kind of his new you know, more jacked physique. Um, and he was Fors, Forsberg's question in part, kind of paraphrasing, uh, was whether that was going to help him take it to the hoop more effectively, more frequently, kind of now that he's bulked up. And Tatum's answer to this was, I know people want to see me go to the basket more. I like some step back jumpers. It's compromise. I'll do what the people want. So how would you handle seeing that answer if you were Udoka or whichever assistant coach on the Celtic staff works most closely with JT? Adam. My issue is, is I mean, obviously we think that Tatum plays a little bit soft. He needs to get to the line more. And in order to do that, you have to take it to the basket. So we all want him to take it to the basket more. Uh, I, I'm wondering who else likes him taking the fallaways other than him. I'm guessing it's just him. 
uh, and maybe his his physical therapist. Uh, you think Hanlon's telling more, him to take those step backs? <laughs> to me, if I'm Udoka, my bigger issue is uh, whether he's playing in the flow of the offense and sharing the ball and and setting play other players up, making his teammates better as the focal point of the offense. That matters more to me. Josh, I like that answer. I think that going to the line means that you're driving it in and then you're getting the contact. You don't need to actually get that contact as long as you keep driving it in there. As long as you get into the paint and you, then you draw the defense, you don't need to get contact as long as you can then kick it out and find other people and get that ball swung again. So I, I actually don't think that the free throw, three free throws per game or any stat like that is the deciding factor until you get to the playoffs, then it is, right? Then, then, then like, it's not, it's not, it's go time then. Uh, but for the entire regular season, you know, obviously this is a politicized answer, a political answer. I'll do what the people want after saying, I, I prefer not to do that, right? That's kind of a political answer. So I would actually turn this back on us. And I would say, you know, as a deep, deep off season type of uh, a move, like who are, what are we doing? Like, how would you how would you react if you're us and you're trying to get some content out there right now this part of the offseason and this is what you're bringing up is tatum's response to this kind of a thing like no of course we don't like the answer but like are we going to overanalyze it as 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 you know you bet you bet i'm ready to overanalyze it right now what does that say about us it says That's we have a weekly it. podcast and we're generating content and discussion. No, but seriously, this like drives me insane. Um, because even if you, whether it's, first of all, I don't, I don't actually, I don't quite agree, Josh, about, um, it, I think it is about getting to the line, both in the regular season and in the playoffs. Like that's what makes truly elite offensive players truly elite it's their scoring efficiency is driven by three-point percentage and free throws so if you know that's what makes Harden so unbelievably effective as an offensive player um and Kawhi and (laughs) Kevin Durant um name your elite offensive player um but even if it's not about free throws getting into the getting into the paint to draw the attention of the offense requires playing with force. Taking step back jumpers is the opposite of playing with force. And for Jason Tatum to just basically be like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Like that's a mindset problem. Uh, maybe I'm just in, totally insane about this, but if I was a head coach, I'd be like, I'd try to sit him down and be like, that's unacceptable. Like you have to do better. You have to, you have to want it. And if you don't, that's a concern. Uh, I'm sure that would not get the, I don't know. It depends on the relationship with the player, but that I find that really concerning. With so Tatum. Mike, let me tell you as a coach who's been at this point of the season with my players, this is the wrong time for that. Like I get, I, I I'm actually in total agreement with you. I think Tatum is soft. I think this is exactly why, but this is not the point of the season where you're trying to drive that home, that point home. It's when it really matters that you really need him to do that, right? And if you know that but, so, that he doesn't really want to do, it's not really part of his natural makeup. And you know that he's trying to learn that. Like having that ingrained as we enter preseason is a little bit of spinning your wheels before it really matters. And the, the value is better later in the year. And so it, it, I, I get, I get what risk. you're saying. It's a risk as no, a I, I, to bring it up now. 
I, I get, I hear that. I guess, I guess the conflict though, right? The tension is ultimately, right? I, I feel like many successful coaches, whether, you know, I'm thinking of like Bill Belichick, Tony Dungy in, in football, um, Brad Stevens, historically, uh, Greg Popovich, like you, you, they talk about, you know, you build and establish habits throughout the course of the regular season so that when the highest leverage moments come up, it's like ingrained in you, right? So like, I don't, this isn't what you're saying, but there's a piece of what you're saying that sounds to me a little bit like trying to get like flip a switch later in the season when, when the pressure gets on. And like, obviously players bring a greater level of intensity, but I, I do feel like Tatum needs to get it ingrained like just more fundamentally to be more aggressive. And I think that needs to be pushed out of him because I, he's clearly not going to do it him on his, of his own volition. So maybe it, it very well could be the wrong tack, but seeing this response would make me want to like sit him down one-on-one and be like, what is, what is wrong with you? <laughs> That's not quite how I'd say it, but right. it, that's that answer it, drives me insane. <laughs> that's what makes it deep, deep, like perfect deep off-season content right there. So we got one one last one. The, these first two, uh, how would you handle it, are, are based on actual things that happen. The third one is based on um, a bit hypothetical, but in light of some actual news. So uh, in in what is a surprise to no one, the Houston Rockets would like to trade John Wall. <laughs> um, wow. He has $94, $95 million left on his contract. The second is like a $48, $49 million. Uh, 40, the second year is 47 Yeah. Okay, $47 million player option. So I, I guess it's like $94 million overall, something like that. Um, I'm pretty wait, wait, sure wait, John wait. Wall... Not, I'm pretty sure John Wall is going to... They're not going to hand the keys over to John Wall after just drafting Jalen Green, right? Yeah, so shockingly, they uh, actually want to let their young players play uh, and develop instead of the having the distraction of John Wall. So basically, he's just gonna he's gonna get paid this season one way or another. It's very possible he'll get paid without playing a game, um, but they're looking to move him. Obviously, he'd prefer to go to a competitive team. Let's hypothetically imagine Raphael Stone, the GM of the Rockets, calls calls you up, your Brad Stevens in this scenario, and offers John Wall for Al Horford and Josh Richardson. How would you handle it? Josh. How would you handle it? I texted you guys last night. I told you, I think I want John Wall for that deal. I think I want. I think I would trade. Sorry, it would be John John Wall and the Rockets' second round pick because I I sure. think you have to give more than just John Wall. <laughs> sure, and, and I know I'm crazy for saying this. Like I'm telling myself that I'm crazy for saying this because I don't think John Wall is a good fit for this team. Throughout his career, he's shown that he hasn't been mature enough to sacrifice any personal anything for the sake of the team. Um, but he's finally 31 years old. He's had some injury history. Um, nobody knows him better than the Eastern Conference, you know, who played against him in, in some playoff battles where he was legitimate and he's still got some gas left in the tank. And I feel like, you know, you guys have heard me say before on this podcast that I'm not sold on Al Horford. I'm excited to see him back. I know other fans are. And if we go into the season with the roster we have with Juancho, with Josh Richardson, with Schroeder, 
Like I'm, I'm cool with that. But if we can upgrade in some kind of a way and take that Horford contract, I mean, we have the ability to trade this Horford contract for somebody, you know, making 27 million all the way up to what, what walls making, what 41, 44 million. So this, this is something that I would definitely consider. Um, I would. It works in the trade machine for the record. Horford and Richardson for a while works in the, the trade machine. I would also do Horford, Schroeder, and Juancho Hernan Gomez uh, for John Wall as well. I, I think that you can't you can't do that one yet. I think you have to wait sixty days from when Schroeder signed to to combine him with other salaries. So either way, you know, even if we wait till the All Star break, this this is I've been thinking about a lot of trades around the league, and this is one of the trades that I've been thinking about that actually does fit in some ways for the Celtics. Um, and like I said, obviously, Wall does not fit the character profile of what the Boston Celtics have been building. But when you're trying to get over the hump, you know, I don't think Horford cuts it. And I feel like, you know, maybe John Wall doesn't either. But any team that's looking for a veteran presence, uh, for a guy who can take over games for stretches but not be the face of the franchise, that you know, that's what Russell Westbrook is bringing to the Lakers. And I actually like that move for the Lakers based on who they have around him with with LeBron needing a guy like that who can take some pressure off and then LeBron takes over in the playoffs. I wonder if the same kind of a thing could happen here with the Celtics with Brown and Tatum taking over when it really matters, but needing John Wall or another guy to have a fifth starter who's legitimate alongside Robert Williams, the two J's and Marcus Smart. You know, we don't have that right now. Josh Richardson's not the guy. Um, and if you were to ask yourself, is Schroeder or Richardson or, you know, like these new guys that we've gotten, are they going to be on the team in two years from now? I think the answer is an immediate no right away. These are stopgap type players. Um, even the Juancho pickup, it's like these are perfect for just going into the season with this roster. But at the same time, we've got now some middle, mid-level contracts that we can put together with a big contract like Al Horford to get a guy who's making even more uh, like John Wall. I would do this. Adam, I'm on the fence. I think I say no at this point. I, I John Wall did not. He played 40 games last year, but I wouldn't call it spectacular. Uh, I'm not sure he is back to the John Wall pre-injury or will ever be. No, he's and, not. And and I don't. Yeah, 31. He's not a huge guard. Like it, this sounds like another in the line of Kemba Walker for Kyrie trying to replace the old point guard moves and so part of the part of part of the there's two pieces that i think put me over the edge for it one is the players that we have that we will be trading out i think are going to be comfortable with their role i i feel like even coming off the bench horford may be okay with that uh he's totally going to support his team and i think he's a great culture builder and i think he's good for the offense with his passing and his shooting uh, I, as we all know, I don't trust Robert Williams to play a full season and to play a lot of minutes. So the idea of relying on him completely at the five is a little scary to me. And I think Josh Richardson is going to also uh, be comfortable coming off the bench. If John Wall is not going to be the, the guy, I don't know what he looks like there. I don't know whether he accepts that. Is he going to? Is he going to be comfortable being the third guy? I, I really don't know. And the second piece is that these other players are on contract through next season. The team has control over them. And Horford, because uh, because we can cut his salary in half by waiving him, we could trade him to another team that wants to reduce salary. 
uh, and that could be a nice uh, asset. Yeah. John Wall has a player option for next year. So if you love that anchor, well, you're, you're paying him 47 million if he does not play, play well. And if he does play well, there's not a, there's a, a decent chance that he opts out and becomes an unrestricted free agent to sign a bigger deal. And I don't love that idea given how the last few off seasons have gone. I really don't like that idea. Uh, and I, I don't want to trade players under team control for players that are not, unless you're making a real um, uh, ad to the roster. Uh, even with that second round pick, Mike, maybe if you threw in a first, even like five so, years down the line, because Houston has a, a really poor roster. If you threw in so a first, I'd consider it. That's a segue to it. So the reporting from Adrian Wojnarowski was that uh, they don't want to give up a first in, in, to move off him. What I would, what I would do, I would not accept the deal as proposed, um, f- largely for the reasons you said, Adam. I, I, I do think there's a key difference between John Wall and Kemba, in that Kemba was ne- has never been a predom- predominantly a playmate, like a point guard that makes plays for others. Like he's, you know, at his best, he's a really dynamic scoring point guard. John Wall, at his best, is a phenomenal setup guy like yeah. phenomenal seven he's a blur a he's a blur on the court that sets up uh, and and can get other guys easy shots and like if you got like you, you won't get the best version of john wall but if you got like a really good version of john wall he would actually complement the strengths of jason tatum and jalen brown really really well um but that's a huge gamble especially at the cost and f- for all the culture reasons you said like from a culture perspective, I feel way better about Horford and Josh Richardson than I do about John Wall, especially with like the the series of events that kind of led to him really getting nudged out or um, kind of <laughs> nudging himself out of Washington uh, because of some, you know, some some off the court stuff that didn't really send the right signals and, and not the type of attitude or behaviors you probably want to infuse into a locker room with a lot of young promising players um so would you do it but no so i wouldn't do it as proposed if if we could do the like the latter deal that you said josh more around juancho and uh and schroeder because i don't really like the idea of having wall and schroeder on the team um and the other big piece is i would i'd be like yeah we'll do it when you send us uh sengun as well who's there who is a we're taking on $94 million of John wall. If they're not going to give us Sengun, then I'm not, then I'm going to hang up. So that, that's how I would handle the negotiation. No, they probably won't, but they got four. four, I think they had four first round picks uh, this, this past off season. So I, you know, I'm not, I, that's what I would try for. I would be like, I, yeah, I would be like Horford Schroeder, uh Hernan Gomez I might even throw in a second from the Celtics and get Wall try to get Wall and uh Sengun. Um and if they don't want to do that then I say that's fine. <laughs> I'm re- very Shen-Gun. content with Sengun Shen- Shen- is the sticking points for Mike Minkoff. That's funny. <laughs> um I mean it 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 changes the value proposition pretty substantially. He's a pretty promising prospect. Plus, you get your 16th pick back. <laughs> yeah, that's why I like. <laughs> um, okay, 
so that thus concludes our how would you handle that uh, uh, segment here. Uh, a fun little game. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna transition to another segment. This is this is kind of Celtics over unders. I, um, I I I did I did some poking around just to make sure that there weren't actually any like prop bets out there. I'm I'm not a I'm not a gambler, so it's entirely possible that I missed some actual like online betting sites that are out there. But um, I put together just a, a small set of over unders for for some of the key Celtics players this season across a couple of, of things. I kind of want to get your guys' take. So the first yeah. one. Jason Tatum will average over or under 27.5 points per game. And before you answer, do you want me to give you some recent recent numbers for him, or do you want to answer yes, without please. that? Okay. So Jason Tatum last season averaged 26.4 points per game. Every year of his career, he has increased his scoring average. As a rookie, 13.9. Second year, 15.7. 2019, 23.4. And then last year, 26.4. Um, he averaged 35.8 minutes per game last season. So the over under 27.5. I'm going over. I'm going over too. He's got, he's got, he's going to get to the line 1.5 more times per game, Mike, right? Based on that, that preseason interview comment. Uh, and that'll be just enough to go over on this one. Begrudgingly. He'll begrudgingly get yeah. to the line more. <laughs> yeah. You say you're both over. I think, I th- yeah, I think I'll go over on it too. I guess I should have set it higher. And I, I think we're all we're all over. I I do think I'm very curious to see again if this Udoka ball movement talk leads to actually slightly suppressed scoring scoring totals for mm. re- relative to the trajectory. That that's the one the- that's one question I have. Can we take the, your third one next then? Yes. So the third, the the next one we'll do is Jalen Brown will average over or under twenty five points per game. And again, I'll give you some recent numbers. Uh, last 25.5 season, twenty five. You have twenty five. Sorry, twenty five point five points per game. Sorry. Yeah. So last season he averaged twenty four point seven points per game, uh, on the best shooting of his career. Uh, 48.4% from the field, 39.7 from three point. Uh, He has pretty much also increased his scoring average every year, except um, so his sophomore season, he averaged 14.5 and his uh, third year, he averaged only 13 points per game. That was the year he he came off the bench for part of the year. Uh, 2019, he averaged 20.3 points per game. Again, last year, 24.7. So the the over under 25.5. I'm going over. I'm going over again. Yeah, right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under. I do not think both. I do not think both Tatum and Jalen will average 26 plus points a game. This is, is how I'll frame it. Team. This is a two man team, Mike. Don't you think? Don't you think? Yeah, those no more Kevin Walker. these two guys. I I think we're gonna have a lot of guys scoring between eight and 12 points this season. Oh wow. Mike, do you think anybody will score will take uh, fifteen shots or more other than Tatum and Brown? Uh, you, it's like you don't even remember Marcus Smart exists. <laughs> Marcus Smart took took 
uh, almost 11 last year. You think he's going to, yeah. And he was not, he was not the starting point guard. (laughs) So he, no, hold on a second. Here's where the, yeah, here's where it comes. Okay. Marcus smart. Obviously there's a, a, a handshake deal in place here for Marcus smart to be the starting point guard of this team. You know, despite what I may have said on previous podcasts about Dennis Schroeder competing for a starting spot, I think that Marcus Smart is going to be playing differently, kind of like he always has throughout his career when he's playing the one versus when he's playing the wing. When he's playing the wing, he knows that he's got to, especially as as Tatum and Brown are maturing as rookies and second-year players, Smart knows that he's got to be responsible for some of the scoring load. And as those two guys have gotten better and better, he knows he's responsible for some of the kick-out three wide-open shot load. As a point guard, he's always been a table setter. He's always been someone who knows how to create for others. And now as that being his full-time role, I'm actually expecting that the coaching staff, Brad Stevens has, has been upset with Smart at times for his shot selection and his promotion, I think, to finally being the full-time point guard without anyone else competing for that position legitimately besides this one guy we've signed for $5 million who can do that well in spot minutes. It's, it's his role right now, and he plays a different type of shot selection um, and, and modality when he knows that that's his role. There's other guys who need to finish, and Smart's the guy to set them up. I agree. <laughs> I will we'll we'll find out. I think I think Smart will be the closest to 15 shots per game. I I'm not I'm not certain that he'll actually get that. I, I was kind of being tongue in cheek. Um, I don't so think it's you're impossible. Under, you're under on Jalen Brown shooting uh, scoring 25.5. I think so. I'm looking just at the point of comparison for uh, Marcus Smart because I I think it's a, a a decent not a perfect but a decent comparison. Uh, I'm looking at Kyle Lowry's career shots per game. Kyle Lowry's actually only been above 15 twice in his career. He was at 14.9 once, but for the most part, he's been at like 12, 12-ish shots per game, 10 to 10 to 13. So yeah, Marcus Smart probably won't get to 15 shots per game. I mean, how many I shots per game? How 15. many shots per game do you think do you think Tatum and Brown are going to average? Like 20, well, there, 20 to 22 that, each? Like. The reason I asked about the number 15 was because that's what Kemba took last year. Um, and I don't think anybody on the team is going to take that. Uh, even Dennis Schroeder averaged 12 and a half last year. And uh, he's the last few years he's been around more. He's been around 15, um, but I don't think he'll do that on this team coming off the bench. I, I agree that Schroeder is not going to get there, but I just think there's going to be so many more guys that can actually occasionally score than we had last year. Like it, it's it's convenient to forget how many minutes Shemi Ojale and Grant Williams and <laughs> like a def, a Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson at the same time and Jeff Teague like we're playing last year. Like it's That's a good point. It, it was bad. And now we're going to be playing real NBA players in real rotations pretty consistently. So, um, I think I blacked Again, out for I mean, the season. Yeah, just, yeah, know, good, know, that, good, good call. <laughs> I conveniently forgot uh, all of that. Yeah, uh, so it's it was it was pretty bleak. Um, I I I agree that obviously the 
vast majority of shots are going to be from those two guys from Tatum and Brown. But um, yeah, it'll be, I don't know. Uh, it, they could be both over. I don't, I, I should have looked up. I don't know how many times we've had, like teams have had two scorers, two guys average 26 or more points per game. I feel like that does not happen that much. Well, that's a, that's a lot of doesn't happen game. that much. Yeah. We, nobody else has scored uh, this many points in, in a season. In, I don't think in NBA history. So that's partly why these numbers are skewed high. Let's move on to the next one, Mike. Yeah. So, all right. So the next one I'll, I'll keep with uh, Jason and Jalen thematically before we transition to a couple of the role players. Um, so Jason and Jalen will combine to average over under nine and a half assists per game. Under. Last season, last season they combined for seven point seven. I'm saying under. I'm saying under as well. I, I don't think that the ball movement, um, even if we improve ball movement, that doesn't necessarily improve assist numbers. And I think last year the my turn, your turn stuff actually lent itself to more assists for those two guys because they were potentially over dribbling a little bit more than they would this hopefully this coming season when the ball will just be skipping around more and everyone will get more assists, but that'll get spread out uh, away from our two guys handling the ball. I'm going to answer with my heart and not my brain and say over. I just really want it to be over. I really want it to be over. I don't, I don't know that I believe it will be, but it would make me so happy if they were, (laughs) if they could, if they could, you know, if Tatum average like five and a half assists per game and, Jalen averaged four and a half. That would be, that would be pretty significant. Come on, Udoka, yeah. back up your talk. All right. All you have to do, Mike, is click your heels three times. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. If, if next? only. Next, Robert Williams. This one's special for you, Adam. <laughs> Robert Williams will average over under nineteen and a half minutes per game, and play playing over sixty games. Last oh my season. God. Last season. Williams played 18.9 minutes per game. So just 0.6 less than the average here. And he played in 50, he played in 52 of 72 games. He will play over 19.5 minutes per game and under 60 games. What? Adam, (laughs) Adam, you're continuing this. He's such a, he's so pessimistic. He's so pessimistic. When is the next injury over? This is a clear over. Al Horford is only start, here. Gosh. Al Horford is only start. here. I think they're both going to gonna start. Sure that Robert Williams is going to be in the right defensive spots when he's not. That's the purpose of Al Horford on this team is to remind Robert Williams, I was here two, three years ago when you were learning all this stuff. You still haven't gotten this one thing, this other little thing. Once you get those two things, once you're in those spots on those defensive rotations, you're a beast and you're playing as much as you want to play. And this guy, I think, is, I mean, he's increased his his playing minutes, I believe, and games played every year. He's, his confidence has grown each year. I think that he's, he's one of these guys who's like slowly and surely um, going to become a guy who's NBA focused and NBA level. Um, durability. I think that he's, he, it's just a matter of time and, and getting used to things. And this is a breakout year potentially for Robert Williams. You saw what he did in the second half of last year. You know, we all chose him as the starter last year for the playoffs. 
So let's not fool ourselves now and think that he's going to play under 60 games this year. Josh, I'm with, I'm you with, just I'm... made my point. You, you, the whole Horford argument just suggests, I, I agree, he's going to play more than 19 and a half minutes a game. But that is Horford helping him with injury prevention? And if so, how? Just by that's being the reason there he wouldn't play, play 60. Just by being there to play with him, by encouraging him, by knowing that he's Horford's there, but if Williams wants to step in and play all those minutes, they're his if he wants them. And I think that he's going to have them. He's going to take them. I am with Josh. I'm going over in Time Lord. I trust Robert Williams is going to maybe play like 62 games. <laughs> and I think I think he'll be at like the 21 minute mark. I, I think he'll 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 inch that up just a few more minutes per game. Um, I don't I don't think he'll play considerably more though than he did last year. Um, Adam, Adam, all right. I'll take the bet. I'll take the bet. Uh, Robert Williams will play over 60 games next year. I'll take the bet. Let me think about it. Yeah. <laughs> What's next, all right. Mike? All right. So let's let's see. Let's see how uh, how true you are in your convictions on Al Horford's effectiveness, Josh. Will oh, Robert yeah. Williams average over or under 2.1 blocks per game? You know, with all that tutelage from Al Horford. Oh, yeah. He last year he averaged 1.8 blocks per game. Most recent, I looked at the last kind of handful of recent seasons. Um, I was gonna set that at 2.5, and I realized that basically like only one player yeah. per season gets over 2.5 blocks <laughs> <Yeah>. per game. <laughs> um, so I went I went with 2.1, and like basically there's like four or five guys a year that get over two blocks per game. And one of them yeah, in 2021, 2022 is gonna be Robert Williams. He's over. I disagree. He's going to be under. And part of the reason for that is that blocks are not a sign of good defense. Robert Williams actually needs to stay down on defense more than he does. So are you saying that uh, Rudy Gobert is a bad defensive player? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) Robert Williams Williams bites too much. I'm over. I'm over. I I think he's going to be like right at 2.1. Okay. Last but not least, final over under. This is a different player we haven't talked about yet. Uh, everyone's favorite sophomore, Aaron Neesmith. He averaged 4.7 points per game last season. Over under that he, he will average 9.5 points per game next year. I'm under. He averaged what last year? He averaged 4.7 points per game last year. Yeah, I think he'll be better, but we got minutes. other guys too. So just just again as a point of reference, Jalen Brown is a rookie. Yeah. Not that they're the same, but Jalen Brown averaged 17.2 minutes per game as a rookie and 6.6 points per game. As a sophomore, he averaged 31 minutes per game and 14.5 points per game. Okay. Different scenario than Neesmith. Yes, far. absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, I say under. This is the one that I'm going under on, not being optimistic about regarding the Celtics, just because I think there's other guys with Richardson and Schroeder here who are going to take some of that scoring load off of Neesmith. I think he'll be around 8.8 points per game or something like that, but he'll be under 10. I agree with Josh, except for the overly specific number. <laughs> I I also agree. I, I do think Neesmith is going to be – uh, he's going to have some opportunities to score. I actually think he'll get pretty close to this number, um, but I but I I think he'll 
stay in single digits. And that 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 was it. Though Josh, uh, did you have one more you wanted to toss out here? Yeah, this this one's for the listeners. Uh, over or under? Will the Celtics Pride podcast have over sixty nine episodes total? That's the number we we're at at this point, right? Hey, episode number the one before seventy. We're celebrating today. If hey, listened... if, if the fans if the fans want us, to, we're we're a once a week typically. We'll we'll do some rapid reactions when the playoffs hit. If the fans want more than sixty nine episodes, I'm willing to make that happen. Yeah, I would take that challenge. I'm here for it. All right, y'all. This has been a slower week, but preseason is ramping up soon. Just wait one more week. We're going to have real games, real things to talk about. Keep listening to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. <laughs>